0: The beginning of the lifestyle. Give me if I don't stay around to watch. I just can't cope with the freaky stuff.
1: Welcome to the New Flesh Podcast, a podcast about horror movies, horror, and all things tangentially related to the hashtag horror lifestyle, including things that are hashtag horror adjacent. Jesse, which I would say is the operative word this week, as we cover two hashtag horror adjacent films that are at that are in theaters now. One is like a full blown mainstream multiplex release with the menu a searchlight pictures picture and we've got (laughs) bones and all a film by one luca guadagino and that's actually it's one of the what two movies mgm makes a year yeah yeah (laughs) They're yeah, betting big on Luca Guadagino. Yeah, they really don't make movies except for James Bond stuff. And whenever Luca pops up, they have apparently have a stake in that as well. But we're talking about Bones and All, which I believe is a limited release and then going wide on Thanksgiving or wider. So you can see this movie on Wednesday if you care to probably. And you will I don't know if you will after we talk about it. But uh, <laughs> I hope you still want to see it, despite uh, the conversation that we might have. And uh, the menu is out now, and I think we both agree you should definitely see it. But we're getting ahead of the game here. What else do we need to talk about? No, I don't have a fucking song for this week. I'm not your little dancing monkey. I don't just <laughs> do what you expect me to do, okay? The expectation weighs a little heavily now. We're going to have to take a few weeks off of the songs and, and reset <laughs> expectations for everybody. Um, what else do I have uh, in terms of housekeeping up top? I wanted to mention that. I don't think I mentioned last week while we were covering Terrifier and Terrifier 2. Maybe I did. But both of those movies are streaming on Screambox, which is the bloody disgusting, touted streaming service with a bunch of horror stuff on it. Pretty heavy on like documentaries that are also like special features on Blu-rays and stuff, which honestly, helpful service. I hope that they add more stuff like that. So Screambox is where you can watch Terrifier 2. I wanted to tell everybody to catch up on Chucky Season 2 this week because in a furthering of the bit of we're never going to cover Hellraiser again, we are going to be covering Chucky Season 2 next week with returning guest Louis Peitzman because mm. he texted... Yeah, I'm very excited. He texted me to ask if I was watching it a few weeks ago and I was like, you know what? I'm behind, but let's catch up and then do an episode as soon as it's over, right before it's over. And the timing worked out great. The season finale of Chucky is in two days from this record, uh, from this episode drop. It is on Wednesday night. It is a Christmas themed episode. There's a full on, it's basically a Chucky Christmas movie is what it looks like, which is delightful. So Chucky season two episode is next week. Uh, Who knows what will happen after that? We're making no promises here at the New Flesh Podcast. (laughs) Also, Jesse, one of my favorite things we've ever done, even though it took up an entire day. (laughs) (laughs) We guested on a podcast you've done in the past that I had not. It's my first time guesting on the Authorized Novelization Podcast, which is a podcast uh, where the hosts read a novelization based on the movie and talk about you know the book versus the movie and how that came to be. And on this episode, we tackled Halloween Ends. And not only did we talk about Halloween Ends incessantly for two plus hours on our own with me, Jesse, and the host of this podcast, talking about why we like like what worked in the movie, what worked in the book, why the book is a great uh, complement and supplement supplementary material. It's a complimentary material for the movie. It works in this really fun way that expands on the movie in ways that you kind of thought were going on, but you weren't sure the book makes all that clear. And not only that, we actually interviewed the writer of the novelization, the author who happens to be one of the screenwriters, Paul Brad Logan. Is that his name? Yes. It was a delight to chat with him. He was a very fun interview and That episode is the longest podcast I've ever done. I don't know about you, Jesse. It was three and a half hours, I think, all in.
0: Yeah, it's pretty up. I think it's. I think that's the longest. I didn't thought about. I hadn't thought about it before, but it probably is the longest I've ever done.
1: Uh, It's definitely the longest that podcast's ever done. I went through their feed. I'm like, they can't all be this long, and they're not. (laughs) They're absolutely not. We couldn't stop talking about Halloween ends. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, uh, you can. I mean, definitely go check it out on the authorized novelization feed right now. But I think midweek I'm going to drop it on this feed with their permission because I think it, you know we put in so much goddamn time. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm put- yeah. I'm putting it on my feed. It was a great interview, uh, a great chat with them. Uh, Andrew Overby is the guy I know who runs that show, and uh, it's a really great show. Check out Authorized Novelization, the podcast. Not just for our episode on Halloween ends, but for the several other episodes on horror movies. Like Jesse did Halloween Four, I think. Yes, I did
0: Halloween four. A very bad novelization. <laughs> Incredible. Boy, it's really uh, interesting. But it's a fun episode. Yeah. There those guy the Hannah and Andrew are so much fun to to talk with. So
1: it's great. Really great show. Check that out. And uh I wanted to say on the Patreon front, we have like a full blown regular main feed style length episode up now on black panther wakanda forever where jesse and i talk about everything about that movie and what works and what doesn't and why it's frustrating but also like still better than most marvel stuff it was a fun episode i really want to tout it as uh worth the uh scaling of the paywall and and additionally, this week, dropping alongside this episode, maybe a day later, it's already recorded. I just never know how the best way to drop Patreons. If, if the same day is overwhelming, it seems like it probably is. But from our standpoint, it's the easiest because we usually record them back to back. But we are talking about Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans, a movie that is also going wide or wider on Thanksgiving. Is that right?
0: I think it's going yeah like to six hundred theaters or something. It would be wild if Bones and All went wider on Thanksgiving than the Fablemans. It <laughs>
1: would, would be wild. Funny. Uh, we talk about that movie and the marketing behind it, and yeah. just really getting into like the themes of the movie and like what Steven's getting at and like the vulnerability on display. It's another really great episode. And I hope you guys subscribe to the Patreon. It's amazing to see how many people have joined. Uh, I hope you guys are all joining the Facebook group. I should have sent you a message on Patreon with the link. Uh, Let me know if you didn't get that, but join the Patreon. We're having a lot of fun over there and uh, the the content is flowing. Uh, More housekeeping. There was a Stitcher Spotify issue earlier in the week. Uh, it's fixed now. All the episodes are there. But if you were waiting for like two weeks of episodes that never came, they're all there now. We did it. Jesse and I re- did them all. There was no actual gaps, but there may have been a gap in your feed. So check it out. There's no missing weeks. We're, we're back. Everything's working. I had to contact customer service, which is always fun. Um, what else did I want to mention before we get to the news? Uh, Smile, now on Paramount Plus, by the way. If you haven't seen it yet, the movie grossed over 200 million domestic. I'm sure we're going to get a smile, too, called frown or some shit. All that is <laughs> all that is going to happen. Jesse, I've been rambling. What's going on in uh, in Jesse's world? We're going to do uh, our, our our favorite <laughs> segment. Jesse's. world. Oh,
0: it's grim right now because my on um, this is I don't mean to get too personal. But on Thursday night, I was feeling a little queasy before dinner. Oh, no. And it was like, well, I just haven't eaten enough today. So it's one of those things where you'll eat a normal meal and feel less queasy. And that was incorrect. What it actually was was one of those things where you need to throw up. And I threw up for the first time in a long time. That's uh, hor- this is some horror content. Like definitely, a long time. yes, horror lifestyle. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, and then clockwork within an hour, my wife and child, who were just dispassionately observing me, <laughs> Feeling like crumb, crap and, and going to throw up, and then going to lie down. Then I heard they're the like, sounds of them.
1: They were looking at you like, "Woo, glad that yeah, ain't me." Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then I was in line in bed, prone, going, and then heard like, why <laughs> so. Oh no! Uh, all, all of us. I don't know. We thought it was food poisoning because we all had, had donuts from the same place earlier in the, in the day, but it's not hundred percent gone away. More than 48 hours later, so it might be... Our our kid's doctor says it might be a stomach bug. Anyway, uh, that's what we've been doing since Thursday night, is trying not... I haven't actually thrown up. I, I, I only threw up a little bit, but my poor wife and kid were throwing up all night. Oh, um, my gosh. It was just... An, and So I was, like, trying to fall. I still felt like I felt horrible, but it wasn't throwing up, so I was lumbering out of bed to like change the 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 uh, the trash can liner for my kid after she would wake up, throw up, and then go back to sleep.
1: Well, we're going to get weird now because this brings up memories of youth. And I feel like there's like a viral tweet I've seen about this that always makes me laugh. What did you throw up into when you <laughs> were a kid? Did you have a receptacle that was known as this is the thing you throw up in? Because we absolutely did. And I could not describe, Like I don't know what it was. It was like a in my mind. It's like a Pyrex style measuring cup, uh, like looking thing, but it was bigger and like white and plastic. You know and what? We, we would ha- fucking we- puke in this thing, and then I'm imagining it would get cleaned out, and we would do it again.
0: <laughs> we have we have one of those in our car right now because my kid used to get car. Or does she gets carsick? But she oh, take I get drinking. carsick. I yeah, I, I used to get carsick so much as a kid. That's what I. Yeah, but the thing I threw up into as a kid uh, was called the car. Uh, so I would just throw up on the. On the uh, apparently, when I was a kid, at least once they pulled into my grand and like a four hour drive to my grandparents, and they like pulled into my grandparents' driveway, and I promptly threw up at the car.
1: <laughs> in the car, uh, still, yeah, oh, still in the car. I didn't make it out of the car. I definitely uh, puked yeah. in some relatives' cars. I don't know if I ever puked in my own <laughs> parents' car, but I puked in like my uncle in California's car, and he still talks about it. It was like fifteen years ago.
0: It's so. It's very. It's very horrible to have to to deal with. Uh, Uh, But yeah, we have a thing, a special thing that she's never actually puked into because she now that she could take jam, I mean, she doesn't she might feel queasy, but she doesn't quite make it to throwing up. And we have this little bucket that she, it's like, it's like this, yeah, it's like a Pyrex plasticky thing with two handles. It's supposed to be angled in a way there. Do you Uh, think it's, is it meant for that?
1: Like, is that what
0: This this 100% is, because my wife's a parenting editor. So someone sent this to her. Oh my God. So they've like
1: actually manufactured what I'm imagining my parents fashioned out of. uh, Maybe that was it. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was exactly what you're talking about. And they've had well, this for, bet, for years.
0: I bet I bet it's a thing where it's sort of – it's something that everyone was doing and then eventually someone was like, we should just make something specifically for yeah, this The guy instead. at the bucket yeah. company is like,
1: we're selling all these buckets to people with children. <laughs> and like and They figured it out. But, I, you know,
0: as a ki- – like at home as a kid, I don't – I feel like we were always unprepared. I feel like I just threw up into the wastebasket and it was always a huge mess. And like sure enough, I was very un- – I, I made it into the toilet this time. Uh, i really it's been like 20 years probably or more since i've thrown up
1: oh my um, god really
0: well i don't you know i don't drink so it's like that that takes, yeah, out, the, a big, <laughs> yes, that takes out the biggest uh <laughs> causer of vomiting in adults probably yeah uh yeah, um, uh, yeah the, i uh and then like I, I think for a while i was probably i think there were probably a couple of times over the past 20 years where i probably should have and didn't because i was like you know apprehensive about it yeah um but so this was the first time in a long time that i had and it was not really that bad as far as that goes but i I did not miss it and no i hate it it's like we were completely unprepared for
1: this (laughs) it's like viscerally a violent intruding like memory if i think about it is throwing up and how like i hate it and i'd rather do anything else but like once you do it you feel so much better than you oh, would yeah. have almost it always. It was so,
0: yeah. it was, this felt very, it felt very horror and this is why I'm excusing talking about something so gross. I like, yeah, This is
1: horrible, by the way, and I'm yeah. going to put a content warning in the <laughs> in the fucking description, because I know there's like, there's a whole website devoted to telling you when there's puke in a movie, because people oh, yeah, have such visceral, I hate puke uh, reactions, so I will, I always, I will yeah. definitely put a spoiler
0: tag on this, sorry. I always find it in movies funnier than more scatological stuff, for some reason. I think it's, for whatever reason, I think puke is funny and like and then like shit and stuff is not that funny i don't know why um in comedies and stuff but like yeah like yeah, Triangle was,
1: of sadness gets some big some big puke oh apps. i just they
0: just sent me the screener and i have not watched it yet oh and marissa yeah. was like hell no we're not watching yeah, that right we're not now. watching this while we're all actually
1: puking <laughs> yeah. all over the
0: place i was like there'll be there's a multitude. no it was really we felt like i was you know if you're having some kind of body possession because like i was kind of feeling feverish as it was as it was getting closer to happening and felt like a wave of kind of sweatiness come over me i threw up and then it like instantly receded i mean it wasn't like i felt instantly way better but i did feel like it it was a weird you could feel this wave of feverishness suddenly like just disappear with having actually you know uh, and it was just like a weird. It's like, oh, this is such a weird body possession sensation that I could feel my body's temperature drop by like four degrees, <laughs> in, like in like a second. Um, so wow. I don't know. It's was just been it's been a fun weekend. We're just uh, I'm still in my sweatpants, and well, uh, no, yeah, it's great.
1: <laughs> That's probably the last time we'll do a Jesse's world segment. <laughs> I no killed one. it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: really glad yeah. I uh, st- stopped my rambling. To uh, uh, check in on Jesse's world, that was a very harrowing. <laughs> I now episode you know what
0: horrible things are happening with me. Uh, yeah. I will say uh, one of the this is what much other horrors
1: is- every week. Are you hiding that I'm yeah. not asking about? <laughs>
0: yeah. We actually throw up every week here. I <laughs> uh, yeah,
1: I, uh, you were just waiting for me to ask. To tell yeah.
0: <laughs> it's like no one ever asks. Uh, no, you know, I had a dream about us last night. We were recording a podcast in the same Ooh. room, which was weird
1: yeah and we haven't done that, that in in like, years yeah
0: <laughs> since that well we did it at the at momi and that was the last time and that was the oh, first right. time. Itself. in front of the huge
1: crowd people yes, saw yeah. it there's yeah, there's yeah. witnesses
0: no there's like youtube videos and everything um i for some reason in this dream we were recording a podcast about the show the office the the television sitcom starring steve jesse Carell.
1: were we the were, were we hosting our own show on the office or were we the office ladies Covering the office <laughs> where we Pam and and whoever the other one is who's on the show wish, with
0: her. I th- I think it was Angela? An- I think yeah, Angela. I think it's Pam and Angela. Yeah, I think it was. Um, it was uh the new. I don't know if it wasn't the new Flash. It was definitely us doing it. We were not, unfortunately, possessing Angela and Pam. Doing it, <laughs> And my best oh, friend Bob was there, like adding some color to it. I don't know why, but it was, well, it, maybe it was, it was, was the Maybe that was first time. Yeah,
1: maybe that, that was thinking. a vision you had of our yeah. future. That's right. Because yeah. that's. We'll just I be mean, I
0: office watch podcast
1: every. Yeah, every streaming service knows like the key to the success is just having the Office on there. So yeah. maybe that works for podcasts as well. You don't need to be an Office lady <laughs> to have an Office podcast.
0: <laughs> it's true. All
1: uh, right, great episode of Jesse's World. Um. <laughs> let's move on to the news of the week of which there's a lot i would say i this is there's a lot of big news jesse did you hear that i would say this is the biggest news in horror of the week two leading horror producers are soon joining forces do you know who these two people are jesse
0: i do it's uh jason blum and our our man james wan
1: yes friend of the show james wan who Has unbeknownst to him done the podcast, if you call (laughs) me taking our interview from Yahoo and releasing it on Patreon as an episode, then James Wan is absolutely a new flesh guest. Um, Jason Blum has not. But notably, if you're on Patreon and you've ever looked at our tiers, we have a tier that is specifically just for Jason Blum. It costs $6,000 a month. (laughs) And unless you're Jason Blum, we don't want you to do it. Like if someone were to pay for it and it wasn't Jason, we'd give them the money back. It's not for you. It's just, if you're Jason, hello, we're big fans. We're happy to be joining the team. We have this pitch about a killer fax machine that a writer, uh, a listener sent in a long time ago. So we have some stuff that we could, you know, let's say it's in turnaround and development. (laughs) We need to get some stuff developed. And for the, Measly price of six thousand dollars a month. Uh, we will work for you. <laughs> so uh, that's our rate. Anyway, the actual news of the week here is that Jason Blum and James Wan are in talks. It's it's not even in talks. I think it's happening. They are merging their horror production companies. So what does this mean, Jesse Blumhouse? Uh, you know, Blum, Jason Blum's company, obviously Blumhouse Productions. James Wan's company, Atomic Monster. Blumhouse, known for its low budget approach to terror, is currently under a first look deal a Universal, which would also then extend to Atomic Monster as long as the deal closes. Juan's first look deal with Warner Brothers ended earlier the, earlier this year after something like 7 years I think it was. And you know, thanks to the success of franchises like Halloween, Paranormal activity and The Purge, Blumhouse has generated 5 billion dollars at the worldwide box office. Juan's movies on his own have Uh, collectively done $3.7 billion. And he's the creative mastermind, obviously, behind the Conjuring franchise, the Saw franchise. Uh, And since 2004, Juan and Blumhouse movies have a combined box office of $11.6 million. I think the most interesting thing here is that the idea here, uh, the parties expect that Atomic Monster and Blumhouse will continue to operate as separate labels with each maintaining its own creative autonomy and brand identity. So what are they doing, you may ask? Atomic Monster is expected to utilize the existing Blumhouse infrastructure to further scale their activities in movies, TV, and new content areas. The idea behind the Alliance is to increase the output from both sides. And they hope to expand into video games and live entertainment and audio. They've already collaborated on a movie you may have heard of, Jesse, called Megan that is coming out on uh, Insurrection Day 2023. Um, And... You know, her killer dance move went viral to the point where I've even seen them despite trying to avoid this trailer. And I feel like the New York Times article mentioned that um Megan has three hundred million views on TikTok since the trailer came out. So they're they're betting big on Megan to the point of not only are they already talking about green lighting on Megan two before Megan's even out, which is mentioned in the New York Times article about this, but I mean, this whole venture feels like them collaborating in the midst of all these horror movies, like scream doing well this year, smile barbarian doing well. We've got scream doing well, like all these, you know, horror is, that's is the story of the moment at the box office, which, you know, we love to see, even though I feel like we go through this every few years, black phones, another one, right? Um, it just feels like they're capitalizing on the opportunity and they are just saying, Hey, what we're doing is working. What you're doing is working. Let's do it together and make more and pool our resources and uh, here's what Blum said. James is probably 70 to 80% artist and 30 to 20% business person. And I am the reverse. And Juan said, We really do compliment each other, yin and yang, which is part of what makes this so exciting. So, Jesse, you may remember this. I mean, they've worked together for years. They brought Insidious into the world together. That's a Jason Blum right, right. production. I believe the first one was pre Blumhouse. Uh, and but Jason Blum was a producer. And then the second one was a Blumhouse. I don't remember what the first actual Blumhouse movie is. It'd be very easy to look up, but I haven't. The um, sheer
0: number of Blumhouse productions is staggering. That's what the only thing that surprised me about this was that I was like, I think I already see like 50 Blumhouse movies a year. <laughs> and so that they're folding in another thing. And that just seems massive.
1: Blumhouse has been around since like 2007. And no one has been more successful than Jason Blum and Blumhouse. They've done... I mean, more recently, what the Black Phone, Halloween ends, and uh, uh, so many fucking movies at the box office over the years. And this year has other ones too, like Barbarian and Scream, and of course, Terrifier two, Smile. It's just a uh, horror is thriving at the box office. Blumhouse wants to capitalize, pool the resources. It horror is, like besides superhero movies, the only like sure thing at the box office. And like you know, Blumhouse could still release a, a clunker like Firestarter this year, right? And it doesn't yeah. matter because of their model and how cheap things are and how the margins of profit work for them. Yeah. Uh, I just love that Blum is openly like, I don't have any ideas for horror movies, not one. So I built a business by re- recognizing great ideas from other people. And Juan says, I have so many ideas that more than I can handle myself. And, it, you know, are you? what do you think of this dealy?
0: I mean, yeah, my first reaction was like, uh, why do they need to merge and be one thing? But then I was, uh, you know, I do kind of like the idea that these companies that actually want to make a lot of movies and make movies for different platforms and make like a, you know, cool thing about Blumhouse is that they really put out a lot of stuff. They put some stuff direct to streaming. They put a lot of stuff in theaters. They put some stuff sort of hybrid. And I don't, I don't know for sure about this, but I would guess that Warner brothers with their like latest round of, uh, merger inspire. We only want to do big IP, which like, I feel like like much like the horror box office conversation happens with most studios every three years where they're like, Oh, you know, we're going to refocus and we're really going to try something new. We're going to try to do only gigantic IP like, Oh, okay. That's a good idea. Only make big hit movies. Interesting. Interesting. That's what a great, what what an interesting strategy. Um, so I wonder if Warner Brothers was like being kind of dick about uh making smaller movies like Malignant or other James Wan horror productions even though they've been very successful for them. Um hence like the if why they didn't renew a first look deal or whatever. So if that if well, if this, if they're merging to like, you know, get more horror movies out there, that's cool.
1: Wan said that he took Megan to Warner and they said no because they're like this is too like too much like Annabelle. We already do uh-huh. Annabelle. And yeah. he took her to Blum. And Blum, of course, was like, of course we'll do that. So, like, you're right. It is, like, fostering. I mean, who knows if Megan's any good. I'm sure it is. It looks really fun. But it just seems, like you're right, if it's going to foster more projects that we want to see, like, great. I have no issue. Blumhouse's current deal with Universal runs through summer 2024, at which point, you know, they could re-up it or he could go somewhere else. Um, But right now it looks like Juan is going to get like a stake in Blumhouse and like be like officially on the masthead in that way. Uh Um, An emerging of companies type of thing. And this, and the New York times article points out that um, what's her name? Langley, the the lady Donna Langley at universal, the chairwoman Mm -hmm. now, like that's, she's had a string of coups at the company. Like she got Chris Nolan over there from Warner brothers. Was it, uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, Jordan Peele, the Daniels who did everything everywhere all at once. There's like definitely some good stuff going on at universal. And I feel like this is going to bolster their portfolio. <laughs> talking. I do. I do
0: love in in a more film history way. I love the like universal sticking with horror. You know, that's like been part of their brands quote, quote, quote before brands existed as such, you know, yeah. it's been part of their identity as a studio since like the thirties. So I love when they like really stick with horror as something yeah. they want to do. That's really cool.
1: I mean, what do we call the iconic monsters of of you know of the old Hollywood era that we all know? We call them the Universal monsters. Like yeah, we exactly. know them, we know them that way. Yeah. Uh, and this news came like days after it was reported that Walter Hamada is going to oversee a horror branch at Paramount Pictures. And Walter Hamada recently left WB slash DC. Has a ton of horror cred because he used to work at New Line. He produced the Friday the 13th Nightmare on Arm Street remakes, as well as The Conjuring and its spin-offs and the 2017 adaptation of It. So beginning next year, Walter Hamada will now oversee all things horror at Paramount. So you can see this model, what they're doing over at Blumhouse, Atomic Monster, whatever this merger is, par- every company is falling in line, right? To like do the exact same thing. They all yeah. just want to make cheap horror. So now Hamada's mandate, according to The Hollywood Reporter, is to be released several... His mandate will be to release several mid-budget horror films for theaters and streaming a year. With a track record for groundbreaking success, Walter's the ideal partner and Visionary to help us build out our mainstream horror genre franchise business. As evidenced by the fantastic performance of Smile, there is a tremendous appetite for original, high-concept storytelling in the global marketplace, and we look forward to a long and successful partnership. And Hamada says he's thrilled to collaborate with, the singular, uh, with Paramount with the singular goal of creating exceptional movies in the horror genre. Nothing has been more gratifying over the course of my career than discovering emerging first-time filmmakers and writers and unleashing their brilliance in a studio setting. Thank you, Brian, and the entire team, blah, blah, blah. You know, another thing where I'm like, great. That's exactly what you want to hear from a studio. If they're actually going to mean it. I mean, this is... They put their money where their mouth is with Parker Finn, right? Parker Finn was a nobody. Debut filmmaker made smile They got 200 million dollars in a franchise potentially now so they're gonna try to replicate that a million times over so we're probably gonna get some shit that doesn't work but we'll probably get some shit that works too so all very exciting industry stuff and now we can move on to just the bits and pieces of projects that we have heard about and some that we haven't big news from just the other day jesse did you hear that radio silence behind you know the horror filmmakers behind the Scream re- uh, remake and the new one, Scream 6, Radio Silence is now going to be doing the reboot of John Carpenter's Escape from New York. Now, don't really think this needs to exist. Don't think the Big Trouble in Little China remake that's coming out needs to exist. But if it does, <laughs> you know, I'm not super upset about it being a filmmaking team that I think is talented. Uh, original filmmaker John Carpenter will will serve as executive producer um, of the film, which is the Studio Canal Library title. The French company uh, will hold distribution rights in several territories. Uh, the picture company is releasing it in America. Word is quiet on the approach for the film, but sources say a writer's search is underway. So interesting. It doesn't seem like the Radio Silence guys are going to write it, just direct it. Um which I guess is what they do, because that's what happened on Scream as well. They got the James Vanderbilt and uh, the other guy who's been on the show, who was very nice, whose name I can't pull. Uh, its last, uh, Their last film, a relaunch of the Scream franchise, was a hit with Paramount uh, grossing $140 million worldwide. They also made it Ready or Not for Searchlight. So the news here, radio silence, escape from New York. Seems like a fool's errand to do that, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't even, that's not even one of my favorite carpenters that I've seen, but it still just kind of feels like I'd rather see those guys do something else. But hey, we'll give it a shot.
1: Maybe Kurt Russell will be back in some capacity and it'll be fun, but I don't know. So, this, correct me if I'm wrong, do you remember sometime earlier this year, like in maybe it was March even, announcing me announcing on the show that Fetty Alvarez was going to direct a new alien movie? For yeah, Ridley Scott. Yeah. I like vaguely, or I, I mean, I just straight up do not remember that. But apparently, <laughs> it's that's a thing, and there's an update on that front. That Kaylee Sp- Span- Spaney has been not cast, but she's circling, and she is um, set to play Priscilla Presley in Sofia Coppola's Priscilla movie, uh, which is coming out. She has uh, she's going to be in Alex Garland's upcoming movie. I have never seen this person, I don't think, in my life, but she's also... Oh, I guess I have, because she was in The Craft Legacy, which I definitely saw, and she was in Pacific Rim 2, but she's been the top choice to lead the movie, and the project's being described as an original standalone feature that is expected to feature the iconic xenomorphs, and it sounds like Ridley Scott is producing, and Scott Free is making it. Um, 20th Century Fox says... What did they say? It was just a really good story with a bunch of characters you haven't seen before. Uh, It was reported that Alvarez is a rabid fan of the franchise and casually pitched a take to Ridley Scott many years ago. The idea remained implanted in Ridley Scott's head until late last year when he called Alvarez out of the blue and asked if the younger filmmaker was still up for it. Alvarez did not have to be asked twice. Of course not. Uh, 20th Century Fox and Scott Free... 20th Century, excuse me. Not Fox. 20th Century and Scott Free made this a top priority after hearing Alvarez's pitch and after a recent script was delivered. And after a recent script was delivered, things only gain speed in getting the film in front of the camera by early 2023. Um, That sounds cool. Especially if it's true that like he told Ridley and Ridley's like, I need this on the big screen. I need to see it. (laughs) Uh, I love that. Um, How many alien movies are there? There Six. If you count the main franchise and then like, what? Eight There's if six. you count the other.
0: Yep, six, six and eight if you depending on how you count them.
1: Freddie Alvarez, fresh off producing the Freddie uh, uh, the the new Texas Chainsaw remake that nobody but us liked, uh, so he's still he's still doing good for me, even though I didn't really care for his Evil Dead remake, nor did I care for his uh, ill-advised and always going to be a mistake Elizabeth cylinder movie, whatever his <laughs> the girl in the spider's web or whatever that was. Uh-huh let's skip the books that are by the actual author and jump to the book made after the author died and was like (laughs) ghostwritten by somebody else and is the fourth book in the franchise. Like what a great choice that was (laughs) anyway. Did you see that movie?
0: I did actually. I thought it was fine, but I, it it was pretty, it was a low expectations thing. It's very deflating to watch this like David Fincher, uh, Rooney Mara Oscar nominated Rooney Mara performance, and then go to the sort of like programmer, you know, suddenly it's like the fifth or sixth movie. It's been recast, but I thought it was well directed. I do think, like this is going to sound obnoxious, maybe even condescending to Fede Alvarez, who I generally I've liked pretty much all the movies of his that I've seen. Um, I would say I would be more into him doing a Predator movie than an Alien movie.
2: <laughs> but interesting, uh, interesting.
0: I just feel like his sensibility is more Predator than Alien. I don't know, but I'm very interested in this. Obviously, I, I love the Alien series. I love. I'm excited about more Aliens. Uh, glad that Ridley Scott's excited into it
1: yeah and there's not the only thing we have to look forward to isn't just the fucking noah hawley fx series
0: yes yeah that takes the sting out of that a bit <laughs> it does
1: so constantine 2 we know that's finally happening that's something we did announce on the show recently and francis lawrence is returning to direct and he explained to the rap that the sequel will be made with a different mindset than the first one so back in 2005 The first one was released with an R rating, but it was never intended to be an R rated R as it was being made. So as for Constantine 2, he said, one of the biggest things for me about the first one was we followed per Warner Brothers the rules to make a PG-13 movie in terms of violence, blood, language, sexuality, but the ratings board gave us a hard R based on the the gray zone of intensity. And my big, big regret was that we have an R rated movie that's really a PG-13 movie. And if I was going to go have an R, I would have really made an R-rated movie. I would have made it much scary and much more violent, and I would have really made it an R-rated movie. Uh, so the idea is that this time, at least for me, is to really go at it and make a real R-rated Constantine, which I think is what people have always wanted originally, not the PG-13 version that happens to be R. What do you think about that? Did you <laughs> ever consider the movie like that way? I, I, um, I, I'm kind of I... mind-blown to hear that.
0: If you had asked me what that movie was rated, I mean, I guess he's right, because if you asked me what Constantine was rated, I probably would have said PG-13. I think so, too. Yeah. (laughs) It was probably the smoking that
1: that ultimately got them the R. Yeah. He's just constantly smoking. There's no way to to get around (laughs) this. Yeah. Reshoot the whole thing. CGI out the fucking cigarette. I don't know. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I get I get what he's saying. I feel like especially in 2005, also, if you got an R and the studio was okay with it, I feel like now if that happened, they would want to go back and CGI some extra blood and it would look shitty. But they would be like, we're going to CGI some blood spatter into it. And probably in 2005, that was less feasible than it would be now. Um, So I get what he's talking about. The PG-13 movie that's like kind of accidentally an R rating. I'm just surprised they let them out with it anyway. Um, yeah, I don't remember it being all that intense, you know, in terms of like, The Conjuring is always my go to example of a movie that got an R rating for reasons that the MPAA couldn't really explain. And they They're were like, just it's, like, it's, it's too scary. Too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> that's my favorite. That's my favorite MPAA thing ever that they were just like, there's nothing you can cut. It's too frightening. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, sure, I'm interested in R-rated Constantine. I had no concept of, I liked the original movie, too. I just had no concept of what, like, I could not tell you how violent it was. I could not tell you if there was any sex in it or anything. Like, I could just tell you that there was some cigarettes. That's
1: <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, I'm, of course, I'm on board to hear that a guy wants to make a movie R-rated. Sounds great. Yeah. Um, Quentin Tarantino at a QA and a in New York, I believe, like a Q&A that people paid money to go to, which is such a foreign concept to me. <laughs> I'd leave Q&As that are free because I can't handle being in the room. When obvi- I think if you were to read this whole article, you'd find out that I'm right to, to be wary of these things. People were like yelling weird stuff at him the whole time. But during the Q&A, he announced that he plans to do an eight-episode TV series and shoot it next year, and that he says it doesn't count towards his arbitrary i'm gonna make 10 movies thing (laughs) what do you think about this
0: uh i mean sure i mean i'll definitely be excited to to watch it but i would rather just like you know rather than dithering around about whether his thing his tv show counts is what i would just rather he make additional movies (laughs) you know yeah i agree like he seems so hung up on like the you know his legacy and like counting whether he's gonna do two d- d- one more or two more which counts as the, the nine and which one's gonna be the tenth or whatever I just thought, I you know I think he should just get out of his head a little bit about that stuff and like do what he wants to do you know yeah, it seems very keep, silly
1: keep doing your podcast but also make some movies and yeah don't mess with TV I mean TV can be okay I'm we'll talk about it next week with Chucky and maybe on a future episode if we talk about Andor because I am trying to watch Andor as well but I'm like running into like the like, God, is all TV really just like, okay, it's eight episodes. It's at least eight episodes, maybe 10, maybe 12. But, you know, it's going to tell a story that could probably fit in three or four. And we're going <laughs> to really pad it out and just give extra, you know, storylines and stuff. It all reeks of that to me. And I can't get it. I, I can't get out of my own head when watching TV how much I'd rather be watching a movie. Like, especially yeah. when... Uh, you know, Chucky's what, eight hours of content? Like, yeah. I could watch fucking four movies in that <laughs> time. And I don't know. I just, I really can't. I, speaking of staying in your head about stupid shit like Tarantino is, I can't get that out of my head. I'm like, I'd, I'd rather be watching a movie. That's my bumper sticker on my car. I'd rather be watching a movie than <laughs> yeah. any of your television series. Um, a couple bits of casting. We knew Lapita Nyong'o was in A Quiet Place day one. Now we know that she's in a star opposite a guy I've never heard of, Joseph Quinn, who played breakout character Eddie Munson on Stranger Things. These are all foreign concepts to me, but (laughs) there you go. Joseph Quinn's in it. That's the Michael Sarnosky, Pig Guy, Quiet Place prequel that is now coming out March 8th, 2024, based on an original idea by horror maestro John Krasinski of uh, <laughs> jesse and i's other podcast office ladies <laughs> office guys office lady office ladies colon it's the guys now or something i don't know <laughs> that's casting news we also got the boogeyman from stephen king which has sophie thatcher from yellow jackets and chris messina and uh, david Dechmalian and a bunch of other people written by scott beck and brian woods of a quiet place and Akella Cooper of Malignant, they wrote drafts of the script before Mark Heyman was brought on to do it. And I don't know if that means it's a new script or it's the old script with them. I have no idea. But the news here is that it's uh, the movie is directed by Rob Savage, who did that movie Host on Shudder, about like a Zoom. He's got a Stephen King horror adaptation for the Boogeyman coming to Hulu. And it's been rated. That's the news. It's been rated. PG-13. Boo. For terror... <laughs> violent content, teen drug use, some strong language. Uh, I've never read The Boogeyman. Um, I've definitely read the description in the past, so I'm going to stop. But the original short story was published in 73 before finding a home in the Night Shift collection in 78. This is the first time it will be adapted. Um, Cool. The Boogeyman. Kevin Smith has threatened us all with a new project. He at a recent roadshow screening where he's showing clerks three to people who pay for it um smith revealed that it was Lionsgate who also distributed clerks three who reached out about a potential sequel to to red state they were like if we do this would you do it again and i was like yeah in a heartbeat i mean obviously michael parks is gone but it's just a story of crazy people with guns and shit as long as i could use john goodman again i could make a hundred fucking red states so i said (laughs) let's (laughs) he said let's do it we're gonna make one So no plans are in place. The script isn't in place. It just seems like Lionsgate was interested in capitalizing on Kevin Smith's fandom again and getting a red state off the ground. Uh, Red state had like Melissa Leo and John Goodman and Michael Parks and Kyle Gallner and Kevin Pollack. And I just remember thinking it started okay. And then ultimately was like, it's like a two and a half star movie is my memory. What do you think?
0: I liked it less than that. But yes, uh, (laughs) similar. It started okay. And then it really goes into some... He got really in love with, like, Letty Michael Park's monologue, and it's so boring. Oh, it's uh,
1: like, boy. I've said this before, probably on the show. Do you remember an evening with Kevin Smith? You ever, were you ever a fan yeah. enough to watch all that? Okay. Uh, so, yep, yep, yep. Absolutely. There's amazing stories in there about, you know, Prince and whatever else. But one of my favorite revealing details is him telling the story about how he almost did Superman. And he says, if I made Superman, you know, there'd be a scene where, like, all this destruction's going on. And we cut to, like, Superman and whoever just like talking about their dicks hiding behind a car while all this destruction's <laughs> happening. And that scene literally plays itself out in red state with John Goodman, I think doing a monologue just while all this violence is happening off screen around him. Yeah. And I'm like, turn the camera around, show me the fucking cool shit. I just remember being like, you just did that scene. You were talking about 10 years ago, you motherfucker. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I think, you know, we've talked about Kevin Smith regressing as a filmmaker on this podcast a lot. Um, I don't think Jesse and I ever talked about Clerks 3, but I definitely talked about it on my other podcast. Not a not a great movie. Not a
0: great movie. <laughs> <laughs> An interesting movie in a lot of ways, though, but not a great movie.
1: Yeah, very interesting. It's interesting to watch someone regress over time as a director. It's very yeah. rare that you see that. But th- <laughs> there you have it. Um, did you know that Margot Robbie was going to be doing a parts of the caribbean movie jesse and now it's not happening i did know that
0: i'm sorry to say i did know that
1: (laughs) uh, we had an idea we were developing it for a while ages ago to have more of a female led uh just kind of a different story which we thought would have been really cool but i guess they don't want to do it, is what she's told vanity fair uh so no margot robbie led pirates presumably because johnny depp won his court case and they're gonna just take him back is my guess i i kind of had that queasy feeling as well yeah, Gross and that, weird. <laughs> that feels like it's going to be a thing that happens for sure. Um, there's a book out now that is uh, a prequel to Fright Night, the original 85 movie from Tom Holland. Uh, Tom Holland wrote the book with help from novelist A. Jack Ulrich. And it's a book. It's called Fright Night Origins. So if you're a fan of Fright Night, there's a new chapter in the you know franchise you enjoy. So get the book Fright Night Origins. It's out now and let me know if it's worth reading. A couple more like news bits. This is just like stuff is on demand now or streaming now. Jesse, I think reviewed this movie. R.I.P.D. Two yes. Rise of the Damned <laughs> is out. Uh, tell me more.
0: <laughs> yeah, what's, I mean, what's I c-
1: R.I.P.D. If people don't remember? Yeah, yeah.
0: R.I.P.D. was a 2013 box office disaster starring Jeff Bridges and Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds in I think what is his was his fourth crack at doing a comic book movie franchise. Uh, Before Deadpool, before he circled back to Deadpool and actually got a hit out of it. Uh, It's like a Men in Black Ghostbusters type of thing, you know, like funny special effects, supposedly. Uh, I definitely saw it at a press screening back in the day. I was not able to find a review of it that I wrote, but I thought I wrote one at the time. Who knows? Um, It's very bad and for some reason nine years later there is a prequel to it it's about undead the movie the movie the general the premise is like it's like people die and join the ripd where they're like they track down wayward souls that are possessing human bodies and, and and bring them back for judgment um and the the prequel is i i didn't even realize this while i was watching it that's how little i was <laughs> paying attention to uh, the uh, ripd in my memory but it's actually about the jeff bridges character how he like came to join the ripd um It also—I didn't even know this when I was reviewing it. It was going to drop on Netflix the day it came out because it was not a Netflix movie. Um, It's just like was immediately licensed for Netflix, which makes sense. RPD is the kind of movie that will randomly turn up in the Netflix top ten. You know, it'll it'll be just like some movie from eight years ago that nobody liked, just like has a star in it, and people start turning to it. Um, Yeah, I watched. This one doesn't
1: even uh, attempt to have a star in it, unless you count Jeffrey Donovan, who I think tv guy in yeah he's mind. on burn
0: notice and he's not good in the movie the movie's not very good but i probably enjoyed it more than the first one it because it, it's just like a western it's like a supernatural western it's more well, like jonah hex or something then okay
1: yeah. yeah jonah hex is a good comp i was gonna say it always looked to me like it was trying to be like ghostbusters men in black type yeah, of exactly. like buddy yeah. comedy but with the sci-fi tinge and this one the sci-fi tinge was like horror tinge but like the movie didn't really treat it like horror is my mem- is my memory
0: yeah. Yes. And this one is a little more like you know it just feels a little more like okay at least the stuff they're you know swirling their supernatural gook around like you know uh, like has you know uh, like is Western has Western yeah. trappings rather than like uh, just like generic cityscapes. So Richard, I found the kind of fun,
1: Richard Brake, you know, is in fun. it.
0: Yes. Yes. I think he plays the bad guy or something. He I don't does. Remember. Yeah. Um, Yeah, you know, it's not very good. I wouldn't recommend it, but I did. if you liked R.I.P.D. for some reason, you should definitely check this out.
1: (laughs) Unbelievable. Yeah, one of those things when people were like, yeah, this exists, and we all didn't think it was real, but here it is. It's out. Universal. Why did Universal... Why would they make this? Like, what is the thinking behind making a straight-to-video sequel to a movie that famously lost, like, what, 130 million... It was like a $130 million movie that made i'm gonna guess like 30 tops yeah Um, something like
0: that and it it was a huge bomb i i you know Universal's always seemed more open to this than most studios uh like you might recall that they made like a five movie series directed video out of jarhead um yes which jarhead
1: (laughs) which gets gets a nod in the movie in theaters now the inspection i don't know if you've seen it
0: (laughs) that's right yeah they do that's right i forgot about that yeah um so Universal just seems up for this. I they mu- I, wouldn- I wonder if they just had some metric that was like, you know what, when this pops on Netflix, people watch it. So maybe it would be worth making the cheap, low budget
1: knockoff. You know, it has to be that sort of like algorithmic. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, they look at the numbers and they say, yeah, people love Jarhead two. What is Jarhead two? Field of Fire. Yeah, yeah. So, that's probably the biggest, most hilarious example of. Um, a franchise going straight to video and just completely like whiffing on the entire purpose of what the movie was. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> like Jarhead was like an anti-war, like sad movie about like how awful it is to be uh, in the shit. And then they just like exploited that by making several straight to video sequels that in my mind, presumably are like, Ooh, rah explode exploding. Yeah. Warfare yeah. shit. Right. Yeah. Uh, my bizarre. mind is blown, Jesse, because I just discovered that Bokeem Woodbine, the star of the inspection, is in Jarhead too. Oh,
0: okay. <laughs> that's hilarious. That makes that, that reference in the movie even weirder and funnier. Wow, that's crazy.
1: <laughs> yeah, that is crazy. I wish I re- realized that when I reviewed that on the podcast, the other podcast. <laughs> cause that is absolutely hilarious to me that they reeled in a TV to talk about Jarhead. <laughs> and it's Bokeem Woodbine did it. Incredible. So R.I.P.D. Two Rise of the Damned full title. I'm gonna say it. Rest, <laughs> in, rest in peace, Department Two. Rise of the Damned um, is out now on Netflix. Is that what you said? Yep, it's on Netflix. Hilarious. So you don't even have to pay six bucks or buy it on at Walmart on Blu-ray. You can watch it <laughs> on Netflix, where it seems like it's meant to be. Uh, I wanted to mention that. Pray for the devil. <laughs> is um, heading to digital next month, followed by a home release in January. So that is December 13th. You can pay good money to rent it on VOD. I don't know why you would. Or you could buy it on 4K on January 3rd, which I don't know why you would. Um, Jesse, I also wanted to mention, reviewed, I think, Wednesday on Netflix, The Tim Burton Show. Yes, Uh, I've had that preview content up, but I just haven't watched it. Uh, Tell me is it worth anyone's time?
0: Um, I would say if you, hmm, I don't think you're gonna like it. <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> I I liked it well enough, but it's very much like, like a kids or like a YA show. Like it's not, it's not the hardcore horror shit. I mean, there's some blood and there's like cool gothic visuals, and I love Jed Ortega. She's wonderful in it, and I love the stuff with her and her little buddy thing, the little disembodied hand, you know. Um, but it's like straight up, like CW show type of stuff. It's like with a, you know, I'm not saying it looks crummy. It's like got a pretty high production value by to my eye, um, and I love Fred Armisen as Uncle Fester. He's very funny. Um, but the show in general, it's like it, it really could air on the CW with almost no problems in terms of like content or whatever else. And I mean, like I almost was like, oh, should I be watching with this my kid? My kid's seven, and I and like I, I think my wife was even talking to someone at Netflix and like before it came out and was asking like you know they were they 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 even asked like oh is, you're gonna watch it with their daughter and she's like oh she said she was like oh she's seven they're like oh yeah we were thinking more like nine or ten probably is a good uh. age for this it's not like super kitty but and, like there are maybe aspects of it that would be a little gory or a little gross for a nine or ten year old but like a cool ten year old would be fine with this it's not scary
1: I and, love that. I love that endorsement. Uh, yeah, all the cool 10 year olds out yeah, there. If you're, t- you're if really you're setting a line hang, in the sand yeah, for the 10 year olds. You know, you know, if you're like, if your 10 year old likes
0: Tim Burton or like, you know, likes the nightmare before Christmas or whatever, um, they'll probably get a kick out of this. I did get a kick out of it. Uh, mostly because of Jenna Ortega's performance. You can't really feel much Tim Burton in it. Although, you know, it's got his kind of visual. You could see him setting the template for it. There's some Danny Elfman themes. There's some Colleen Atwood costumes that are very good. Um, jenna ortega has a dancing scene that i thought was extremely charming and awesome uh you know but it, like you said about tv stuff this is you know this is like eight hours <laughs> um, and like is it is this eight hours as good as watching adam's family and adam's Family values twice no it's not um but i got a kick out of it well you know i would not like recommend it to any adults or or any horror fan but if you've got like, you know, kids who are into that kind of thing, if or if you like YA type of stuff, I think it's like kind of a fun example of it. And again, Ortega's wonderful. She's really good in it. I would watch a second season just because I really enjoyed her version of Wednesday Adams. I will say their version of Gomez and Morticia. Suck really bad and like I didn't like it all and I hope they don't include them in the second season if they do.
1: It. Wow, <laughs> so that's a hilarious thing. The show's fine, but these two lead characters need well, to no, go. They, they aren't kidding.
0: really that. They, they are really. Legal. They're
1: in two episodes.
0: That's it. They, it's really surprising how little of the rest of the family is in it. Like it's the, almost. The, it'd
1: be like making a Monsters movie without half the monsters. family. Yeah. that's weird. <laughs> yeah, without
0: any of the kids. Why would um, they do that? Yeah, yeah. This actually does probably make more sense than that. Just because it's like well, Wednesday's kind of everybody's favorite, right? Uh But Mortician and Gomez are really just guest stars in two episodes and Louise Guzman and Catherine Zeta-Jones are just not doing, they're like doing a watered down version of, uh, of the wonderful Angelica Houston and Raul Julia. Um, Whereas Jenna Ortega is doing a little more of her own thing. She's not just imitating Christina Ricci, who's also in the show in a supporting role, which is fun to see. Um, So, I mean, there's fun stuff. If you like, if you're like really in, if you're in Adams head, if you really like the Adams family, uh, I don't know, maybe you'll, maybe you'll find it delightful, or maybe you'll find it infuriating, because it's like, not as good as like, either of the the movies. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I gave it kind of a qualified, like, uh, you got to set your expectations a certain way sort of recommendation, but I, I had a good time with it. It's not going to bring anyone roaring back to being like, Tim Burton is, is, is the best. We love him again. Uh, even though I think he's sort of overhated at this point.
1: Yeah, I look forward to the next season Wednesday Values (laughs) Catherine Zeta-Jones she dips beneath the lasers whoa (laughs) she has entrapped me and Sean Connery whoa shout out to the workaholics for that song being in my head every time I hear Catherine (laughs) Zeta-Jones from now on Also, the entrapment trailer. Famously, I've talked about it on a million episodes. What is my favorite line, Jesse? That's right. It's rule number one. How do I know you're not a cop? (laughs) (laughs) Not a rule. Not a rule. Pretty sure the trailer's cut poorly, and that's not a line in the movie. All right. Let's get to the main event today, which is the menu slash bones and all. What do you want to do first?
0: Um. Let's do the menu first, right? Yes. I don't know. The menu
1: is first on the menu today. Jesse, what is this film?
0: This is a, you were right to say, horror adjacent, because it is a sort of dark thriller with horror elements. Yes. Uh,
1: That is definitely being a little bit missold in the advertising, I would say.
0: Yeah, yeah, it has like it's like kind of darkly comic with some horrific over overtones or undertones or whatever have you. Uh, Annie Taylor Joy plays Margot, who is accompanying uh, a guy played by uh, Nicholas Holt to an exclusive restaurant, foodie restaurant where you have to go take a boat to a private island. Only twelve people eat there each day, and it's like a four-hour experience. Uh, it costs twelve hundred dollars a piece. And she's with this foodie guy who's really into it and she's a little more skeptical and there's a kind of collection of other, you know, assorted rich people taking this trip. There's some finance bros. There's a famous actor played by John Leguizamo, who's obviously sort of a past his peak type. I believe they said they might've said that he was based sort of on Steven Seagal in terms of a guy who's trying to pivot to reality shows. Um, there is like just kind of a garden variety rich couple. And uh, there's also like a restaurant critic and his, uh, and her editor, I believe Uh, Janet McTier plays the critic and the chef, the head chef is played by Ray Fiennes, who's this very exacting forbidden, forbidding guy. And uh, he has like a, is it his, his assistant or sous chef? I don't know what the term is. It's played by Hong Chow. So as they set for this long uh, multi-course meal, you begin to re- realize that something is amiss at this very fancy restaurant. And Margot and Annie Taylor Joyce character as the one who is kind of most skeptical is kind of the first one to starts to suspect things are a little off and she's right. Things are a little off for reasons we won't unveil. Uh, and sort of, it becomes, I wouldn't say exactly cat and mouse because it's kind of a chamber piece, right? They don't like there isn't that yeah. much t- time that's outside of the dining room. But you're sort of the two. The screws are tightening, and as as the courses are proceeding, uh, you know, there's you know, it gets more forbidding and more kind of menacing, and that's yeah. So it becomes sort of a survival thriller, I guess I would say. Uh, and it's sort of a, it's not exactly a mystery, but you're sort of like, what's going on with this creepy restaurant thing? So it's sort of a satire of the culinary world. Although I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not as immersed in that world, so I don't know how much of that satire really lands. Um, but I thought it was pretty clever. Maybe I maybe I just think that because I don't know anything about food.
1: (laughs) Well, no, I think it doesn't matter that you don't know anything about food because the movie is not about food or eating at all. I think the central metaphor is quite obviously. And tell me if I'm being an asshole or that's not if if you disagree. um, It's just a movie about how people can how we consume art. It's a movie Uh about artistry and pretension and fandom and fanboys and and choosing to sell out or not. And like what the implications of that are. And, um, what do you, what do you say to that? Sir? Yeah, what do you I say mean, to that? Think, sir?
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's, that makes sense. I, you know, uh, yeah, I, I, there was, there were times in the watching this movie where I was going, I don't know if this movie is as sane as much or as richly, uh, about its subject as it, as it maybe wants to, or, or thinks it is. um, but yeah, I think that's probably you know what kind of what the deal is. I, I like it's sort of yeah. The the Ray Fine's character is interesting because he's both like kind of cruel and withholding, but also in his own weird way, kind of anguished uh, yeah, <laughs> about his is. about his situation. And I wouldn't say you feel sorry for him, but you feel a kind of like yeah, like he maybe was once could have been. A, Uh, more not more successful because he's obviously supposed to be very successful but more folksy yeah a more satisfied and less you know less rarefied artist um which is sort of an interesting yeah it's an interesting idea uh but it also is like i think the movie what's good about the movie is that it's like it works as a pretty effective like fun i wouldn't say twisty but but compelling uh thriller i mean you're not exactly sure what's going to happen and it has enough yeah, you know, intrigue into it to keep it keep you going.
1: That's why it works. Cause like to me this movie should not work anywhere near as well as it does, considering how one joke it seems on the surface. Like it seems like it's going to be about one thing. Like, I don't know about you, but I was definitely thinking it was going to lead to um I don't want to get into spoilers quite yet, but like, I definitely thought it was leaning in one way, like just from like the trailer and like the kind of like the world's most dangerous game vibes that the trailer was yeah, giving yeah. off. Like, uh-huh. you definitely feel like you know what's going to happen. And, and, and like, to me, I'll, I guess I'll just say spoiler alert, just to say it doesn't happen, but that might imply what does happen or I don't know. I don't want you to take anything away from it if you don't want to. Yeah. Um, definitely assume this is going to be a movie about like literally eating the rich right yeah yeah, because we've gotten so many movies lately like where the the summation of it if you were to talk about it like yeah it's an eat the rich movie which you'd say about so many movies out right now like triangle triangle of sadness is one what else there's more that are out right now that are about that and i'm like blanking Uh, on it but yeah um, i
0: yeah, there have been. I mean, it's it, it's generally been a sentiment for the past couple years. You've seen it a lot in horror movies too. Ready or not is sort of an eat the oh, rich. Oh, Knives is, Out yeah. Two
1: is one which I've seen already. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's another one. So like, there's just it's it's like a literalization, or I assumed it was going to be some literalization of an eat the rich movie. And you know what? It's definitely not that in the way I thought it was, but it's also not not that right. Like it kind of has that literal eat the rich element to it like it's kind of in there but it's all the way it goes about it is not the way i expected and i found it to be very funny in a way that again i wasn't expecting it to be so like biting and funny but um it's like the american psycho scenes at the restaurant the Dorcia scenes but they're all it's all it's in a movie (laughs) it's a whole movie made around that and like maybe it's just because it's such an easy target but like it's such an it's it's an I, I am an it's an easy target. The people in the movie are an easy target, and I am an easy target for it because I'm like a sucker for watching a movie that is made by ostensibly rich people telling me that rich people are bad. Um, yeah. <laughs> and like I don't know, there's something about thinking you know what the impending horror is, and for the movie to kind of circumvent it while also still getting there. Like, I don't know. I, yeah. I, it's interesting. I thought it was a clever movie about artistry and pretension and fandom and obsession under the guise of this is a movie about food. But, like, I know that, like, that stuff all does manifest itself if you are into the food world. So I think it does work if you just are looking at it as a pure, like, satire of the foodie movement and stuff like that. But I wasn't key- keyed into that at all. I was totally keyed in to, like, the way that they describe... um the chef of uh, Ray Fine's character as like a storyteller, you know, like they very yeah. clearly make allusions to be like, this man is a stand in for the artist, for the yeah. director. And that's on the level that I was watching it on. And I really enjoyed it as such. And like, it shouldn't work. Like, it's just like people at a table. They're like all archetypes too, right? Like you got like the food critic and her like lackey. And you've got yeah. all like these tech bros, uh wall street bros. Like they're all archetypes, but I found, Them like all their dialogue did make me laugh, like in spite of itself, like the pretentiousness of the food critic, like doing just like sub ratatouille food critic stuff. (laughs) But like, it's all just like ringing true. I think it was written very cleverly or something. I don't know why that works so well, but go ahead. Sorry,
0: no, no, uh, i I think you're right, it works a lot better than you might think, and I think part of that is like. If it ended up being people that are being served at this, at this, on this menu, it maybe feels like a little like, okay, yeah, I get it. Um, So that it's able to do something a little more, uh, a little more nuanced or a little more, uh, like less overtly horrific, but still ends up, you know, with kind of horror elements makes it pretty effective. And I think a lot of the key to that are the performances. Uh, but I mean, it is also well-written and well-directed by Mark Mylott uh, and well-written by Seth Reese and Will Tracy. But I think the keys to the the performances by um, Ray Fiennes and Anya Taylor-Joy are both very good. She's just very good in kind of her, you know, she kind of is back to her scream queen uh, <laughs> role here where she's sort of, you know, observing everything and sort of, you know, she's obviously if there's going to be a final girl, it's going to be her because she's sort of your entrance Right. Uh, point of view character um, using her giant eyes to uh, <laughs> to take all this stuff in. She's just very great at that kind of deadpan sympathy. And she obviously has like with- withholding some of her own uh, secrets. And Ray Fiennes really does bring a kind of like genuine soul sickness to his character, where it could have been fun to play this character as like a total, you know, megaloma- megalomaniacal villain. Uh, yeah. But there-, there is like a kind of sadness to him.
1: Well, the, the detail of his mother being in the corner too is such like yeah. a strange extra yeah. layer of characterization for him that adds a lot. Um, yeah. It's something I just was so struck by like once you realize like what the menu is and like what the what Ray finds is doing specifically, it's like you know re- revealing the dichotomy between the people who consume art and the people who make it and um i just found it such like a it must have been a cathartic thing to write right like it's about the power of critics having the power to like make or break you and like the idea of um you know the guy who demands substitutions for his meal getting like drowned or whatever i like i think it was sunny bunch who pointed out that like you know he's like if, if you're looking at it as a broader metaphor for the film industry that substitution could be like a fate for anyone who saw their movie move from theatrical to streaming during COVID. like there's like so many little layers to that and to uh the funniest one for me is the like the uh the motivation for why john leguizamo's character is there that to me is like the perfect summation of why this movie is like funnier and clever more clever than I think most some people will give it credit for because it's really just about that. What I'm talking about, like the intersection between fans and art and how, like uh, I guess we could spoil it. Um, and uh, let's just say we're in spoiler territory now. Um, yeah. I love when it's revealed that John Leguizamo there because he made a shit movie that <laughs> that Ray Fiennes had to go see on his one day like a sunday afternoon when he had a time off. He went and saw this movie and he fucking couldn't believe how much his time was wasted and like that's why he's there. Uh so I just found it to be it's this darkly comic thing that was just not about the like the targets were not who I thought they were. Like it's yeah. yes it's about like it's an eat the rich satire in a way but like it's more kind of calling into question the whole system and like the fakeness of the people who do consume art and like they're can consuming it for the wrong reasons right like nobody's there for the food that tastes good like the whole the whole joke of it is that the food and like Anna Taylor Joy calls him out on this at the end like there's like a bread plate with no bread it's just the dips like it's truly just pretentious horseshit and he's doing that on purpose because he's like fucking with them and like the movie is just the whole thing. It's like a deliberate provocation in that way, but not at all in the way I thought it was going to be. Do you? Yeah. Did you pick up any of that, or you?
0: Yeah. No. I mean, I I agree. I do I do think like uh you know I was wondering if like the idea of her like you know getting out of it by getting like a, just a well made cheeseburger. Oh if yes. That gets, like. Yes. I was like, uh, I don't like, I actually maybe really, of course, really want a cheeseburger because the cheeseburger looked look fucking it amazing. It looks perfect. Yeah, uh, the way, yeah, it does. <laughs> but like, you know, I found that I was like, ah, uh, this gets, this sounds a little to me like, you know, cheesy internet critics, you know, I mean, like more, I'm just thinking more like in a cool news era than like, than our current era, I guess, uh, of like, you know, Oh, but the well-made cheeseburger is really much better than the, you know, like the fancy cuisine and that, that kind. And I, you know, I prefer that too, probably because I'm not very sophisticated. But like, I was wondering if the movie was like kind of making a sort of weirdly anti-sophisticated stance. I always kind of just wonder anytime someone talks about the well-made cheeseburger being so much better than, than, uh, the, than the haute cuisine or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I don't think this movie is really what this movie is getting at. No, but it's I was, more,
1: I think that stuff is more about, like, Ray finds himself knowing that he's sold out, right? Because, like, yeah, the whole yeah. thing is he's acting out because he knows he's he's the, he's the a part of this. And he, like, sold yeah. his soul to be the guy with the Michelin star who only feeds the food critics and the wealthy couple and the bros right, right. who, yeah. again, and, like, he makes, and the, what I think is so clever is the movie makes so clear why each of these people is there for the wrong reason, especially yeah. Nicholas Holt being such a fanboy that, like, nothing, like, the murders don't phase him. And, like,
0: no, and he was, he knew, he was the one who yes. knew this was going to happen. And the, the, again, that's a spoiler, but we said we were going to, yeah. Do spoilers. He's the one old one person who, besides the staff, who knew that they were all going to get killed and he was fine with it, which is that, that to me, Red, is very funny. And, like, you could, you know, have that as a stand. I and mean, here's where the metaphor starts to get a little mixed because, like, the, Type of fan I think of that as being is like the uh, it's kind of a satire of the like hardcore you know, Marvel fan or Disney fan or DC fan or whatever, who's just ride or die for those things like their sports teams and is yes. like willing to sub you know, submit themselves to that, even if it means they're you know, their personal harm, which is not exactly you know, which is of course, but that stuff is not exactly what we're talking about with like the fancy cuisine, you know. So, like, I feel like the metaphor gets a little mixed there. Um, And I think Holt's performance, like maybe telegraphs a little too early. He's so willing to like play a good,
1: yeah, exactly.
0: And he's and he's great, like and he does that a lot. And I really like that he doesn't have any kind of like uh, illusions of like, no, I'm going to be like the cool, handsome leading man who everyone likes. Like he like as well beyond that. But that does kind of telegraph very early that he's like this guy sucks. Where I feel like they could have held that off a little longer, like how much he sucks. Um, But it's still very funny, and it's and you know what I think it's
1: also getting at it definitely gets at this towards the his his demise i guess would be like you know the fanboys who think they know more than the experts
0: yeah right i want to be part of it you know you want if you you think if you answer enough trivia questions or it gives enough answers right this the person behind it will be like yes you now come when you you. get that with like exactly yeah i'll single you out you know it's like the people who get really excited to have like you know to have like their blurbs you know their tweets blurbed uh on the on marvel ads like this kind of feeling of like well now you're a part of this by uh like (laughs) by sucking up to to this stuff so that stuff is it's very so
1: weird that his name was eric davis (laughs) (laughs) he played a character named eric davis yeah yeah. uh
0: it's interesting too that this is reproduced by adam mckay because i was just watching i watched the other guys which i really love uh when i was homesick and um this movie is so much sharper and like more satisfying than than McKay, than McKay like Don't Look Up which is a much bigger of course like satire than this but this is you know this is through McKay's production company and he just like ha- he has a great sense of a producer of what one of these things can be like sharp and funny and like still entertaining and so I wish that he had that more for his own movie <laughs> yeah it's,
1: stick on the producer side I mean this has the the guy who made this, I know you you pointed out he directed, like, What's Your Number with that yes. shitty what Anna Ferris movie or whatever from yes, several years uh-huh. ago. But, like, uh-huh. he's the succession guy, and so are yeah. the writers, I think. And, like, that really comes through here if you watch that show. It even looks like succession, kind of, like, it's, like, how would you describe this movie's visual style? Like, very slick and, yeah. like, um, artificial, almost? It's, like, or I don't know if that's the right word, but, like, it's slick in a way that, like, you know, it's, it's showing you a fancy restaurant with, like, like sharp angles and stuff. I don't know. Yeah. It like has a very distinct look that I think fits the material. Um, but also at the same time, it's like a little too slick and over overdone. I would yeah, say, yeah. But, like that's also a part of the appeal. I or what yeah. they're going for, I think. But I keep talking about this stuff. But like, I think the reason it works partially is because Fines isn't just an antagonist. He is, but like he's he's reckoning with himself and. Not just like doing this to act out. It's like he's a part of the process too. And I yeah. feel like the movie is, I've used this word, I think last week to talk about a movie, uh, or maybe that was on the soft and quiet episode, to call it called a movie a primal scream. But this movie is also like a primal scream about the state of art. And I found it so fascinating. Once you key into that angle, I was really just. Like, you know, it's saying the artist is always, you know, beholden to the fans or to the critics or to the investors. And, like, it's kind of like just rejecting that whole idea and being really funny while doing it. I just thought it was really... I'm really m- more impressed with it the more I think about it and talk about it. Even at the same time that I think it's also a little more slight <laughs> that I'm giving it credit for. Because, like, I think it can be just a fun, silly genre movie that's an enjoyable, like you're watching these people get killed and the motivations are are fine. But like on that silly allegory level or whatever you want to call it, the like, what is the sat on like a, what is the satirizing level? I found it very potent as like a, this is a movie about art. And I mean, obviously that's just, it's just, uh it's catnip to me. I, I was always going to like a movie that did these elements, but I think the way this movie uses those elements is, is worth praising because like it's not i know i keep saying it's eat the rich but it isn't but it is it's not it's not what you think it is they're not wh- i don't know i don't want to give it away but i already we, i know we're spoiling it already <laughs> what else is there to say have we talked we has there a- anything gone on un- un- unturned no
0: i think that's about it it is like i think you're right to, to point out that you might see it as slight and i don't even mean that as a as a negative it's like it's it's a kind of it's a cheeseburger like that's the thing like
1: it's a well-crafted cheeseburger cheeseburger of a movie and that's another thing why i think it's so clever because like it knows what it is and it ends with saying like there's nothing wrong with that (laughs) and that's a cool thing to have it's also
0: is like the yeah exactly you talk about the kind of look of the movie ties into the themes too it is it's an aesthetically pleasing movie i mean you've got like anya taylor joy like looking amazing and like wearing a beautiful dress and with her big crazy eyes and stuff and there are like and you know Ray Fines like very dapper and all that and it is like an aesthetically pleasing movie and also sort of unsettling for that reason, which is, you know, it, it, it works. It
1: works really well. Like
0: it does what it says out to sets out to do quite well.
1: Yeah, I really like the menu. Definitely go check it out. It made nine million this weekend, which yeah. I to me, that sounds good.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, that seems like a solid, you know, and that's for a movie with like with recognizable faces, but not like big opening stars. That seems very good.
1: Do we know the men the budget of this movie?
0: I think it was something like thirty, maybe something like that. Yeah. Okay.
1: Know. So it'll be fine. It did nine here. It's already done six uh, abroad. It's got fifteen total after a weekend. I think it'll end up doing all right. I think it's going to have good legs, better legs than like a horror movie would have. So I think yeah, the word of yeah. mouth is going to be good, despite the fact that like the cra- I-, I predicted on the other pod it was going to have a I think I said a B minus cinema score and it had a uh, B and like okay. that's about right, which is like. Yeah.
0: It's, it's high for a horror movie, but high for a star. horror
1: movie, but also like it factors in the fact that the marketing kind of promised something it wasn't it, like yeah. that is baked in there uh so now that we've told you it's horror adjacent, not horror straight up, definitely more of a very dark comedy that's just satire, but it's you know the satire is better than you're expecting, probably, or at least more nuanced and interesting than yeah. you're expecting um now now let's pivot to movie a movie that my uh, co-host on my other show gave four stars which is the only the third movie this year he's given four stars uh so just to say there are people who think this is like a movie that is the best of the year i want to say that now in case people get soured on the way we talk about it because i know (laughs) you liked it less than i did and i liked it less than mark did um it's It's an interesting movie. I want to like it more than I like it. But I'm also I wish I had seen it again before we recorded this. I didn't have time. I really want to see it again. And I'm definitely open to the idea of liking it more. But um, we'll talk about why it left me a little cold. But you can start with why it left you a little cold. (laughs) <laughs> oh, man, I have to reach back to you because I just saw
0: this in New York Film Fest. It's been a little while. Me too, yeah. And I would have, yeah, if I had gotten a screener or something, I would have watched it at home again. But I was also not eager to revisit it, uh, partially just because it's, like, kind of gross. Um, Bones and All is, uh, what makes this horror, Jason, is that it's, all, well, like the menu, it's also, it's kind of what you were, what we kind of thought the menu was going to be. We thought you were, it was going to involve eating people somehow. Uh, Bones and All is definitely about eating people in gory detail. It's about a young woman played by Taylor Russell, who has a sort of, uh, you know, when she uh, has like a built in uh, hunger, say, for human flesh that she can't really control. Or she can control to some extent, but she, you know, can't really stop herself from like, at some point trying to eat human flesh. Uh, her dad sort of, who's her single dad, can't really handle it anymore and kind of abandons her and has she has to fend for herself um so she's sort of on the road and meets another uh what do they call them eaters is that what they call them uh or yes in some, I, yeah. yeah i mean in, by, yeah,
1: i believe that's that's the term i wrote down so yeah I uh, think yeah so.
0: yeah in uh by uh t- played by timothy chalamet and it sort of becomes a lovers doom lovers on the run movie uh in the vein of badlands something like that where the, in, instead of like robbing banks and killing people they occasionally have to like figure out how to feed on people. Um, and like, there's some, you know, attention given to like how they pick who they eat and how they sort of navigate this. Cause like, they don't really want to cause suffering, but also they want to survive. Um, they also meet another older, I mean, they meet some other eaters. One of them the kind of most menacing one is played by Mark Rylance, who turns up uh, a variety of times throughout the movie. And I mean, I have to say that, it's not really fair for me to talk about why I'm left cold by this movie. Cause I'm not a big Luca Guadagnino guy. I don't really like any of his movies that much. Um, I, you know, I've enjoyed some of his stuff. I like call me by your name, probably less than almost anyone else. I liked it while liking it less than almost anyone else who liked it that year. I think, yeah. um, and I liked Bigger Splash with uh, the menus Ray finds pretty well. Not like, a, you know, I like, like love it, but I enjoyed it. Um, but like his Suspiria remake, I thought was trying and I did not care for it. Um, I am loved the Tullus Winton movie. I thought uh, Was sort of interesting, but didn't really hundred percent work for me. I guess there aren't that many of his movies to for me to say. I've actually seen his movie, The Protagonists, uh, which is not on DVD in this country or streaming in this country. I don't think. Huh. Which also has Tilda Swinton kind of playing herself, but not really. It's very bad. It's actually even worse than the ones I don't like. <laughs> so I feel like I'm a, you know I'm not an expert, but like I definitely feel like I've done the research on this guy. Yeah. And phones and all like a lot of his other movies just struck me as a little bit diffuse, a little bit kind of juan and like i don't know there's something about this guy's movies where they always just kind of feel flabby and rambling to me there's just not that like i'm not i'm just not sure what i just don't really quite understand what so many people see in his directing especially um there are certainly things about this movie i found sort of interesting and it's certainly like impressively gory Um,
1: yeah the gore actually doesn't disappoint but like a lot of other elements too
0: yeah. It's like, you know, I figured I had to look away once or twice because it's pretty gross. It's one of those it, things where just like rendering it realistically, even though it's less explicit than probably something from yeah. Terrifier, made yeah. me more grossed out than something And like the terrifying.
1: sound design is really like yeah, bone of, crunchy and yeah, gnarly. Wow.
0: Yeah. 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 Throw up again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the perfect movie. Uh, yeah. And I think Taylor Russell, who plays the lead, uh, who we love, uh, Scream Queen Taylor Russell from Escape yeah. Room, <laughs> uh, is quite good. And, you know, some of it also maybe comes down to, I don't, and I think you're sharing my feelings on this. I'm not, I kind of don't get it with Timothy Chalamet. Muddy, either, at least. Yeah. As a leading man. Yeah. I think I've, I've really enjoyed it. I think he's so funny in Lady Bird and Little Women. Yes. that's and perfect, perfect I, size he's done, role. In fact, we just talked about Don't Look Up, which I don't even like very much, but I think he's actually very funny in that movie. And there's been plenty of times where I've enjoyed his work but I just don't think he can hold the screen the way that he's supposed to. There's an Um, emotional
1: moment in this movie, Jesse, where I wrote down, um, that there's a, you know, he's crying and it's just clearly a CGI tear starts rolling down his cheek. And I'm like, (laughs) come on. I, I really thought this dude had it at one point in time, but after this and Dune, I really don't.
0: He's just not, I'm just not as a leading man. I thought actually, I liked him a lot in the French dispatch as well. Um, I thought he was again when he's like when you're kind of playing up the sort of funnier kind of you aspect of his youthfulness I think that stuff can be very light and sweet and like he has he can bring some genuine human emotion to like kind of satirical parts like the guy he's playing in Ladybird is like a total little fuck boy or whatever but like He's not a complete cartoon character who's, like, loathsome. He's, like, a dick, but you kind of think he's, like... You, there's something affectionate about it. And even more with Little Women, where he plays Laurie, like, there is... You know, he gives some, that character a little bit of depth where you kind of, like, understand why he's kind of frustrating and also why he's endearing. And I thought the same in French Dispatch, where he's playing the young revolutionary. He's, like, kind of annoying and, and self-important, but, like, in a way that's kind of likable and sweet. So I can see why, I guess, why people make the leap to like oh yeah he can be a leading man but yeah the movies like this in dune where he has to like really stand at the center of the screen and is usually opposite someone who i think is more magnetic uh zendaya in uh she's not even doing that much but like she's still like a more magnetic charismatic person and taylor russell in this you really start to feel kind of a void there so you know i, I yes. can't I'm not sure if i can amount any like really highfalutin objection to this movie besides that i just think it kind of rambles around a little bit and like it just i mean I feel it's like a little simple this to tighten up.
1: yeah it's just a little simple and like even if you're trying to like okay do what i'm trying to do with every movie right and look into the it, look it look inward what is this movie about right and if you look at like it's a bit simple in the allegory department because it doesn't really is this a movie about i mean yes it's a movie about lonely people uh ultimately i think is what you'd like if you strip it down to its parts, it's just a movie about lonely people finding each other. And I think Brian Tallarico said something about this that I really liked, which is like, it's a movie about, I want to say the way he said it. So I don't botch it. He (laughs) said, it's a movie about how we don't really see ourselves until we can see what we keep secret reflected in someone else. And I was like, that's a good way to put it.
0: Oh, that is. That's very lovely. That's it's uh, you very
1: know. lovely. That's, and it made me yeah. appreciate it a little more and like yeah. what it's going for. And also Mark and I were talking about it. And first of all, his defense of Timothy, he thought it was a good performance. And he said, well, when I said how I felt, which is how you felt he said like, yeah, all that stuff is like, well, I actually said that he, I felt like he was doing like a bad impression of what like Nick, Nick Cage was doing and like Wild at Heart. Like, yeah, that's what I yeah, really I felt. Yeah. And he said, well, yeah, I see that. But like that to me is Timothy, Timothy's character putting on airs and acting like he's okay. And act like that's him doing a performance within the performance because yeah. he's a really a sad guy. And like yeah. he totally bought that. He was the sad guy. And I just, again, I just didn't connect with him at all um no i didn't
0: either and I, I i see that argument i just don't think the movie makes it that makes i just don't think it doesn't give him enough right like there's not enough there to to, yeah. to really dig into that
1: yeah i agree and like in terms of the allegory stuff they're people in this movie they're eaters they they're cannibals you can think of them as monsters um Is this a movie about inherited trauma, Jesse? I mean, it makes (laughs) very clear that it's like that's a part of it. Because with the whole quest to meet Chloe Savini, that is definitely like a big angle of this movie is like inheriting whatever fucked upness from your from your family, or it could be about an allegory about addiction and being a drug addict or something. And like the eating is a metaphor for that. It doesn't really matter, I don't think. But like that's I mean does it not matter like if your movie is trying to be like function on a level that's more than like this is a movie about cannibals who eat people and fall in love and go on this quest but like I kind of wanted it to say something right and I don't really know what it said other yeah, than well, like, that's
0: the thing, that's the thing. Yeah. I don't I don't necessarily need it to say something like it can just be an exercise in like character or, or style or anything like that but the thing is when you have something as extreme as these people eat other people so they murder and yeah. consume them I feel like that's extreme enough that you can't just like dick around with it a little bit you know you know what I mean like maybe the book gets into It is based on a book uh, so maybe yeah. the it does this better but like to me it just felt kind of like uh, it's not like it's trying to provoke you I don't think it's even trying to be a provocation but it's so it's sort of that
1: no it's like meandering and less um, what's the word I'm looking for less transgressive than you want it to be
0: well, and, like, that's the thing. It's it's not something like like Titane where it's about a murderer, uh, someone who has murdered people, and it's, like, fucked up, but you kind of see the kind of weird, animalistic, you know, loneliness or whatever that, that drives that, and I found that really compelling in the way that kind of shifts form as the movie goes on. This one just kind of takes it for granted that you will just watch people, you know, gorely eat other people and be like, well, I'm still sympathetic. I mean, like, I'm not saying you need to... You know, I'm not saying they need to be the most sympathetic characters or anything. I just mean, like, I don't know that that stuff is treated with either. It's in this weird in-between state where it's not, to me, appropriate gravity for, like, no, but these characters are murdering people. <laughs> and also not. And there's not, like, a to me, a strong analogy to, like, I'm forced by my nature to murder people. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like when you say, like, drug add- addiction, sure, you can use it as a metaphor for that. But, like, drug addiction doesn't ultimately directly kill another person you know like like, uh, so that seems almost a little solipsistic to me to like to, to have them say like oh yeah we're drug addicts we're just totally addicted to killing people <laughs> um, and I guess that makes me sound like I'm being a weird moral scold about it I just like kind of felt like it doesn't have the, the kind of moral rigor to like really explore this but it also isn't like that playful or dark or like kind of wild the way that Titan is just like a to me it was a really exciting movie um and like it was transgressive and i know a lot of people i feel like have since dinged that movie for not being actually that transgressive after like oh after the first 20 minutes it's kind of like boring and and sentimental or whatever which i don't really agree with but like that movie i feel like had the balls to like you know actually engage with the with with that material and this one i don't know i feel like kind of like just kind of dicks around with it a little bit and doesn't really have the like wherewithal to say this is going to be a really this is movie is going to be super intense or this movie is going to be sort of like a dark fairy tale like it's it's kind of in this weird middle place which is how i feel a lot of his movies end up landing for me frankly i think even calling by your name kind of lands in that weird middle in some ways um where it's like somewhere between a transgressive provocation and something kind of sweet and bizarre and I just I don't know I, there's just something about his sensibility that I just do not connect with
1: I definitely connected with with calling by your name and Suspiria so like I don't have that problem with him but like I agree with you on this movie like something about the the bat it's like airy pacing and they're like not good chemistry between the two leads Yeah, and like the fact that like it's this movie about consuming flesh that's like not really sexy or interesting in the in the way that you kind of want it to be i don't know about (laughs) i don't know about y'all but it's definitely like kind of flatter than you want it to be in that regard yeah and like it has the gore like it definitely is like gross when it gets gory um but it's there's it it definitely left me wanting and like even though i appreciated it enough to like give it a positive review and still like think fondly of it in a way I, the more the more time away from it I get, the more I wonder if there's not that much there there, or if I need yeah. to watch it again and if maybe there is. But one thing I can definitely say: easily the worst Atticus uh Ross score.
0: <laughs> i didn't really notice that i was surprised to see their name ross and and resner as, as maybe the names of the-
1: someone can help me with this because it's one of those scores that i was just annoyed with because i i've heard the score before it was so familiar that i couldn't place what it was aping but it, to me it's so clearly similar to a different score that i was never able to like Fall fall into it like I just was like this is plucky boring strings and like a a particular variety of them that I've heard in a in a movie before and I was also shocked to find out afterwards because I like shit talked the score before I even realized it was them and I'm like I love Ugh. those guys um, and I just don't think it's a good score and maybe I don't know I, I definitely want to asterisk this episode by saying I do want to watch it again but this was first impression like. You know, it sounds so good on paper that, like, the execution of the meanderingness of it, and like, why, why, are, why, are, why am I so detached from it? Like, I have pe- the people who have an emotional connection to this movie and give it like four out of f- or five out of five. I'm just like, I want to feel that. Like, yes. where did that come from? Like, I, I just, I think I asked Mark about this, and he just talked about like the loneliness of the characters, and like, I get that. We all feel lonely and stuff like that. But,
0: but yeah, I, I didn't, I just didn't, honestly, I didn't really get that much loneliness from it. Like, I mean, there is, I think that in the, the movie is probably most compelling in those early moments where you're kind of following Taylor Russell, where you see, she goes, that's great scene that it opens up with her going down in the sleepover Great scene. and great the reason scene. she has to leave the sleepover and then yeah. from, her, from her father leaving all that stuff. I thought I that maybe it's, so maybe it just it is a thread that I don't feel like is that too well-developed and maybe Chalamet derails it for me because through that point, I was pretty compelled, and once Chalamet enters into it, it just it does start meandering, in a, in a, and it doesn't feel. I guess that's so about them, you know, quelling their loneliness by finding each other. But I just didn't. I didn't really feel his loneliness. I didn't really. I just. It, it just didn't really like. I don't know. It and then Rylance feels home. like he's
1: out of a Stephen King book.
0: Yeah, and I, you know, sort of. Found, I found him entertaining because I enjoy his his like overacting and stuff. But it's it does it doesn't it feels mismatched and kind of. Like, it's, you know, tossing a lot of things in the air and kind of, I don't know, it's, it's, I think it's how a lot of people feel about Terrence Malick later period, because it's, which is weird, because this imitates, sort of imitates Badlands, which is early Malick. Um... The the you know I think the the how a lot of people feel about later period Malick is that he like you know just shoots and shoots and shoots and then just like dithers around and kind of makes a kind of swirly little you know self indulgent stew of stuff. But to me, if that movie this movie had been more like that, I might have respected it a little more. But because it's sort of halfway to being sort of a linear story and halfway sort of as being a re- reverie, I just didn't find it that effective uh, on either front. But yeah, I would, I would be open to looking at it again. It's not, I didn't hate it by any means. And I, I think Taylor Russell is quite good and there's moments certainly that I'll remember for a while. I just, yeah, I, I really, like. it's the kind of thing I always want to really like, you know, kind of a movie with genre elements that kind of goes, you know, that is not restricted by genre conventions, but I almost feel like maybe more conventions would have helped in, the, in this case, <laughs> more restrictions. I mean,
1: yeah, put some restrictions on this guy. This movie is too long. Um yeah, I don't know. That we said what we said. I'm interested to watch it again. That's how I feel about it. Definitely a mixed. I still give it like a three I still I still like it kind of. I just I want, I desperately want to like it more, I guess is my problem. And I'm just like, there's something keeping me at a distance from it. Uh okay, we'll be back next week with uh Chucky season two. Oh yeah. who, Who knows what the future holds. But uh, check out the Patreon now for our episode on The Fablemans. (laughs)
0: Style. <laughs> Forgive me if I don't stay around to watch.
2: I just can't cope with the freaky stuff.